My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Now, I do want to bring a message. It's going to be brief, uh, but it's one that I really feel like the Lord wants me to bring this morning. The timing of it is uh, perfect. You know, we're in John chapter 8, and uh, over the last chapter or two, the conflict between the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the, uh, the scribes, has been increasing and elevating significantly uh, between them and Jesus. Uh, and there's this pattern that's beginning to emerge. And, and it's really interesting because for hundreds of years, the Jewish leaders have been praying for and waiting for God to send his Messiah. To send the one who would lead them to be the people of God. And now he's standing right before them. But they can't see him because they're so consumed with religion and the stuff of this world. I mean, what an incredible irony that, that the light of the world, as we talked about last, last Sunday, that the light of the world is right before them, but they don't have eyes to see it or ears to hear it. We, we see a similar thing here. Um, you know, it's a very ironic setting. Jesus is trying to speak truth to them about freedom, about freedom, and they immediately begin to get in an argument with them about the fact that uh, they're children of Abraham, and they've never been slaves to anybody. Well, first of all, that's a complete crock. They've been slaves multiple times. I'm not even sure what they were thinking about. Um, we'll get into that next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week's message because we want to talk about this thing of, of freedom that God has called us. And can I just say that a lot of times when we are shouting the loudest, I am free, we're most bound. And that's exactly what was happening here. But they get into this whole thing about Abraham, and so Jesus says, okay, you want to go to Abraham? We'll go to Abraham. And so he begins to talk to them about what it means to truly be children of Abraham. And uh, as he does, you know, they get all hung up on Abraham as their father. Let me just read, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to read part of this passage. And just think of the irony of, of what's happening here, beginning in verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're not able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar uh, and the father of lies. Because I tell you, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Actually, I had to start reading it the wrong place, didn't I? Is it even up there? No. All right. I apologize. It, it, you, somebody probably needed to hear what I just read, so <laughs> that's okay. Um, I hope not. Your father is the devil, so let's, you know. (laughs) Let me back up to where I said I was going to read. Verse 37. I know you are Abraham's descendants. 
Yet you're ready to kill me because I have, uh, you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but I have come, uh, but, but from him who sent me. And now, jump down to verse 53, where this conversation continues. This is the Jewish people speaking to Jesus. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Can you imagine? Can you just... How did Jesus keep his tongue? When they're saying to him, who do you think you are? Jesus knows who he is. He's trying desperately to get them to see who he is. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the very thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said to Jesus. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus is in essence saying, you're hung up on Abraham as your father, but I was with the father in heaven before Abraham was ever born, before Abraham was even conceived. I was with the father and he has now sent me to show you his father heart. But you can't see the heart of your father God because you're so hung up on the the institutionalism of being the children of Abraham. So the people can't even see what Jesus is trying to show them. Well, I want to say this morning that Jesus is still trying to show us the heart of the father. Uh, One of the reasons that Jesus came was to show us the heart of the father. And yet so many in Jesus' day couldn't see or hear because they were looking at all the wrong things. I want to just, I'm going to leap beyond this passage and I want to just talk to you broadly about the Father heart of God. God our Father. And, And I pray that we would have ears to hear this morning and eyes to see who your Heavenly Father truly is. You know, it's interesting, you may not know this, but... It's interesting that references to God as Father in the Old Testament are almost non-existent. Uh, I mean, just do, do a word search. There are a few places where God is referred to as Father, but honestly, the focus of the passage is really about more about us as children, and so God just happens to be mentioned as Father in that context. 
But God is almost never referred to as Father in the Old Testament. However, when we get to the New Testament, God is called Father 250 times. 250 times. Now, uh, in fact, you could almost say this. If God's name in the Old Testament was predominantly Jehovah or Yahweh, which means I am, then in the New Testament, his primary name is Father. It's Father. Now, now why the shift? Why the change from the Old to the New? I believe that in the Old Testament, the primary focus was to bring God's nature into view as the transcendent God and creator of the universe. In other words, the primary purpose in the Old Testament is to help us to understand that God is mighty, that God is awesome, that God is great, that God is over all things. He rules over all things. He is creator and Lord of the universe. But as we come to the New Testament, God begins to give us a complete picture of himself. God wants us to understand that he is not only great and awesome and mighty, but he is also personal and intimate. That God longs to be closer than a brother. And that the very reason God sent Jesus, his son, was to show us the full scope of his heart. That God is not just transcendent, but he is also intimate, imminent, close, personal. And so in the New Testament, we begin to get this full picture of who God is. And God is both transcendent and very, very personal. In fact, God becomes so intimate and personal in the New Testament that Paul can actually refer to him as Abba, Father, which means Daddy. Daddy. Daddy God. Daddy, Father. That's just how personal God has become through Jesus in the New Testament. So I want us to understand the true nature of the Father heart of God. Uh, But I do think we have to acknowledge right from the start that there are some obstacles to understanding God in this way. Uh, One of those is simply that humanity has done a pretty good job of tainting the image of Father of tainting the image of Father. Uh, Floyd McClung tells the story of a a pastor who was trying to share the gospel with a hardened, streetwise kid. And the kid said, just tell me who this God is. And so the pastor said, well, God God is like a father. He's like a father. The kid said, well, if he's anything like my old man, you can keep him. It's sad, isn't it? And yet that's the truth. The truth of the matter is that humanity has done a great job of tainting the very image of fatherhood. And and I think we can also say that Hollywood has taken the opportunity to expand and even blow into a caricature that idea. Remember these guys? Uh, That's the image that Hollywood typically gives us of fathers. Fathers in Hollywood are typically among the lowest forms of creature on the earth, right? Um, You know, my wife um, had a difficult issue with fatherhood because, uh, you know, she says that the only time she remembers her father being proud of her, the only time, was when she learned how to pull a beer off of a six-pack. 
That was his greatest pride, was when she learned how to do that. By the time she was four, he was completely gone. Would not see him again for 15 years. He was completely out of her life, and she and her mother and sister were left to try to learn how to do life without a father presence at all. Um, even those of us who would say, you know, I had a great dad, had a good dad. And I, I know there are many of them in this room right now. Even those of us who had great dads would, would acknowledge that the imperfection of earthly fathers has sometimes called us, caused us to project that onto our heavenly father. And if our dads tended to be perfectionistic or demanding or too critical or not encouraging enough, we tend to think of God in similar ways. And and, and so it creates an image here. I mean, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Uh, I want to say, first of all, that um, we want to call our men up. And on this day, Father's Day, I want to say to you, um, your role in our society and your role in in our families is beyond measure. It's beyond measure. Who you are as men and who God wants you to be as men who are uh, giving a positive expression of the Father heart of God is absolutely essential. And we want to call our men up. We've got a man school here that meets every Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock. And that's one of the constant messages of man school. It's, just, it's a great place to come. If you're not feeling called up, then get up at 6 o'clock and come join us. Now, we're on a light schedule this summer. Um, and uh, let us know if you want to come this summer. We'll give you, get you the details on that. But uh, typically, we meet at 6 o'clock in the morning. It is a great place to be challenged to be all that God wants you to be. But can I just say very quickly, and please hear this, that is not the whole story. We do want to call our men up. We want to be, we want to be the men God has called us to be. But can I just tell, tell you this, uh, that in no way was any earthly man ever meant to be a substitute for the only perfect father in the universe. There is only one perfect father in the universe. And your earthly father was not meant to be a substitute for him. Only God is perfect. Only God is capable of being the perfect father. But here's what the enemy has done. You see, the enemy, who is a liar and a thief, has tried to deceive us into believing that what we see in fatherhood here on earth is a reflection of his heart. But see, I think it's just exactly the opposite. There is something within us that understands what fatherhood ought to be. There's something in us that, that, that gives us a sense of what fatherhood should be, and that's why we can measure or judge earthly fatherhood and say it falls up short. It comes up short because we know what it should be, and why do we know what it should be? Because God put within us, in our spiritual DNA, this understanding that we were made for our Father. There is an intuitive sense of what fatherhood should be. And God is the only one who can be that perfect father. I love what uh, Michael Phillips writes about this. He says, where there is an imperfect reflection, there must be a perfect source of that reflection. If there is an incomplete fatherhood, then there must be a perfect fatherhood. Those of us who have had good fathers can allow them to point us to an even greater 
perfect father. And those of us who have not had fathers at all, or perhaps poor fathers, can recognize that the very hole that you feel in your soul is a hole that is meant to draw you to the heart of your perfect father, who is everything you need him to be. Can I just, again, very briefly share with you just a a few aspects of the father heart of God. First of all, God is our authority. He is our authority. The first and the greatest obstacle to knowing God intimately is a spirit of independence. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to come under anybody's authority. Can I just say that there is a tendency for those who constantly buck against authority here on earth to also have a tendency to buck against God's authority? And if, I'm, if that's where I am, I need to come to grips with that and say, you know what, there's something in me that's broken, there's something in me that's hurt, and I need to get healed so that I can come under God's authority. I want you to understand that every one of us needs an anchor. Every one of us needs one who is greater than ourselves that we can be bound to, one who is our authority, and God is that authority. God gives us our identity. He gives us our identity. I was talking to a pastor friend a few years ago about an experience that he and his family had in Russia when they went to an orphanage. Uh, They were on a mission trip and they went to an orphanage. And they learned that in Russia, a child could be committed to an orphanage for almost any reason. If he was uh, deformed, if he had a learning disability, or if the parents just didn't want him, uh, they could commit that child to, to, to an orphanage. And if that child was not adopted into a family, by the time that child reached 18, that child would be given a passport because everybody in Russia had to have a passport at that time. And you couldn't go anywhere without that passport. But any orphan that uh, got to the age of 18 and was released from the orphanage would have stamped in their passport in a red stamp, no heritage. No heritage. And for the rest of that child's life, he would go through life with this understanding that I have no heritage. You know why we need a heritage? Because our heritage gives us a sense of identity. Our heritage gives us a sense of belonging. It it helps us to understand who we are because of who we belong to. That's what it means to have an identity, you know, uh, which, by the way, is why gangs and clubs and subcultures are so prominent in our culture. As more and more people feel lost in terms of their identity, they're looking to find it in some group, some club or some gang. And so they look there to try to find that sense of identity. Um, and, and, and it's a place of belonging. It's a place of connectedness. It's a place where we receive our identity. You know, we desperately need to know that we belong to someone. And your Father in heaven wants you to know today that you belong to Him. You are not one who has no heritage. You have an incredible inheritance as a child of God. Can I just read it from Romans 8, 15 through 17? Just go, let's go back to that passage. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Beloved, that is your identity. That is your identity. Uh, our Father longs to, to meet our needs. I'm not going to read this whole passage, uh, but in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus is saying to us, uh, you're running around uh, life desperately trying to, to secure everything that you think you need. You're just constantly toiling and working, trying to, to make sure that you have enough stuff. He says, I want you to know that your Father in heaven loves you. And he will provide for your needs. Stop running in the rat race. Stop being consumed with stuff. God loves the birds of the air so much that he provides for their daily needs. And he loves you so much more than birds. God will provide for your needs. As Father, God is also our source of security. A source of security. You know, I I had a chance yesterday to go down to my hometown just for a few hours and, and see my dad. We got to go fishing uh, yesterday morning and, and uh, you know, in the afternoon, uh, I just started reflecting on times I've had with my dad. And, and one of my graphic memories of being with my dad when I was young was going quail hunting. And, uh, but long before I was old enough to hunt with him, he would take me, he would follow the dogs and I would follow him. But if you've ever been quail hunting, especially in the old days where we used to hunt natural habitat, the dogs often ended up in really thick places that even a man could hardly get through. And so as a seven-year-old kid, I had to kind of walk on the edge of the woods. And I can can remember this. The feelings are still there today. I can remember that as my dad would say, Keith, now you walk right along the edge of these woods, and I'm just going to follow the dog into the woods, and we'll meet you on the other side. I remember watching him with that orange vest as he made his way down into the woods. And as long as I could just see the vest, I felt safe. But the second the vest disappeared, panic began to set in. And I, just, I can remember as a kid, you know, walking as fast as I could to get to the other side and, and then just staring down into the woods, searching desperately, looking for that glimpse of orange to tell me that my father was close by. And as soon as I saw the orange, I knew I was okay. My dad's here. My dad is with me. And I had that sense of security. God wants to be your sense of security. He wants you to know that he is with you. That he will not abandon. He will not leave you to yours. I love Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2, where David cries out, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I want you to know that you have security in your heavenly Father. And He wants you to stand in that security. And the last thing is that I want you to know that your Father in heaven wants to demonstrate his affection for you. To demonstrate his affection for you. You know, in some ways, this may be one of the most challenging aspects. Because our culture has done some pretty uh, unfortunate things to our men. Our culture has sent the message that to be a man means you're hard. Maybe even that you're cold. That you're, you're not moved by anything. You don't show your emotions. You don't let your heart come out. And, and I want to tell you that, uh, yes, we need men who are strong. 
But can I tell you that our perfect Father is both strong and affectionate? For our, for our Heavenly Father to be strong does not mean you can't open your heart and pour out affection. A lot of us didn't get that from our dads, and so we have a hard time receiving it from our Heavenly Father. But I want you to know, your Heavenly Father adores you. Your Heavenly Father is for you. He wants you to know His affection. And for some of you this morning, that may be the one thing you most need to hear, is that your Heavenly Father adores you. He looks at you with the perfect love of a father who is completely and totally devoted to you as his daughter or his son. And I want you to know that you've got that kind of father. Even in the Old Testament, even there we see the affectionate heart of God in a verse like Zephaniah 3.17 where God says to us through the prophet Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you. Can you imagine God singing over you? Can you imagine your heavenly father being so full of affection that he sings over you as a loving father. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to go ahead and make your way and for the worship team to come on out. And we're going to go ahead this morning and ask you to prepare to respond. Um, these altars are going to be open in just a minute. Don't come yet. But the altars are open. If you need someone to pray with you today, we will have people here ready to pray with you. Uh, if you have a specific need, just lift your hand and someone will come and pray for you specifically. Or you may just need to come here and kneel here as a holy place just to, to be in God's presence and to let the Lord continue to minister to you. But I also want to invite you to come and share in Holy Communion. The time of our service where we come to remember that our Father loved us so much that He sent His only Son to give his life for the forgiveness of our sins, to demonstrate for us his deep and abiding love. So as you come this morning, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you are a follower of Jesus, come, take a piece of this bread, dip it into the juice, and celebrate your Father's love today. And if you are here today and you have never accepted his love, you've never made that decision to follow Christ as your Lord, I want to invite you to come and one of us will pray with you and we will lead you into that place of sonship, daughtership today. Can we just stand? Let's begin to respond as the Lord leads us this morning.